Good evening, and welcome to Meet the Artist Interviews. I'm your host, Charles McNeil, Director of Education for the San Francisco Ballet, and I'm very pleased to be here on this Friday evening, February 25th, 2011. We're recording from the San Francisco War Memorial Opera House in San Francisco, and I want to welcome all of our guests in the Opera House today, and of course, all those who will eventually hear this online, as this interview will be made into a podcast. You can learn more about San Francisco Ballet, more about what happens behind the scenes by visiting our website at www.sfballet.org. I am so excited to be here tonight. Um, my guest is really loved in the dance world by choreographers and dancers alike. Um, he was with Pacific Northwest Ballet from 1983 to 1988 as a costume designer, shop supervisor, and wardrobe master. He went on to Monte Carlo and managed costume shops for Les Ballets de Monte Carlo and Le Cabaret de Monte Carlo. He also worked in Switzerland and Amsterdam for Holiday on Ice. He has worked with renowned designers and choreographers uh, such as Lucinda Childs, Maurice Sendak, Kent Stoll, Melissa Finley, Christopher Stoll, Donald Byrd, and of course now our own Yuri Posakov and Helgi Thomason as well. In addition to his numerous designs for Pacific Northwest Ballet and San Francisco Ballet now, he has designed for many ballet companies around the world. Please welcome costume designer Mark Zappone. Thank you. Well, um, I asked Mark to bring something for show and tell, because I, th I, love, I love really being able to share something unique and special with the audience. And even though you're listening on the podcast, just take for granted, it, it's going to be very, very interesting. Um, so Mark, how are you? How are you doing? Right now I'm great. Yeah? Are you enjoying your, your time in San Francisco? Absolutely, yeah. It's a beautiful city. It's a great company to work for. I really enjoy the dancers, the whole backstage crowd. Everybody's great. Have you, have you been here bef many uh, times before? Well, I've done three, three productions here. This is actually my third. Ah, so. and, and tell me about that past. It's kind of an interesting one. Uh, well, the first one I did here was with uh, Christopher Stoll, actually, when he was still a dancer here in the company, and Helgi had the first evening of Young Choreographers, uh, pro a program. It was actually Christopher Wilden, uh, Yuri Posakov, and Christopher Stoll were all part of that group. I later ended up working with all of them, which is great. But Christopher and I have known each other since um, Pacific Northwest Ballet days in Seattle. His parents were there. And uh, so he asked me to do a piece, and I did his first piece here, Opus 50, which was about 11 years ago. And then recently then I worked with um, Yuri uh, Posakov in Portland, and then he asked me to do a piece here just recently, Raku, that was uh, only a couple weeks ago. And then also Christopher Wielden asked me to do a piece here last season, Ghosts. So that was my first project with him here with San Francisco Ballet. Wonderful. Well, we're, we're looking forward to talking a little bit more about uh, Yuri Posakov's Raku and the premiere that we're going to see tonight, which is Helgi Thomason's trio. But um, I, I wanted to ask you a little bit about uh, your background. I always start with background. I don't want to go too far and too deep, but I always, it's always interesting to me. It's fascinating how people come to the world of ballet and, and how you became a designer. Is that something that you... Well, starting with my childhood... <laughs> No, actually I, actually, I started in college in architecture. I was interested in building and architecture, and I 
got into interior design after that, after I was disappointed by the architectural department where I was at school. And then I actually segued into theatrical design in set design and costume design. In set design, I felt it was more immediate that you could, you could make a set much quicker than you could make a building. So I was interested then. And then I segued into costumes that way. And, and, and when you, I think of costume designs, like, and why costume design versus fashion design? Or are those related in your mind? Sure, they are. I, I think they are mixed up in my mind at mm -hmm. all times. A lot of times, many ballets are fashion-oriented. And um, I just, that was just the path that uh, came in front of me. And I just stayed with theater because there's, a, there's an interesting sense about theatrical costuming as opposed to fashion world. Mm -hmm. So I, I mentioned uh, the work that you did with Holiday on Ice. Mm -hmm. And is that just designing costumes for their, for a, big theatrical production? Uh, yeah, I, was, I, was in, I worked with them in Switzerland for two years and then uh, also in Amsterdam. I just was very lucky. I knew the designer who was working at that point and I came and ran the costume shop for them. And yes, it's a whole different set of standards or the way they move. I mean, they're gliding, you know, they're moving mm -hmm. along and uh, with a lot of different speed and stuff. So it's, each, each aspect has their own needs. Mm -hmm. And well, that brings about a question in terms of movement in and of itself. Is, is it different designing for a um, ballet dancer versus an ice skater versus, say, a, a, a ballet dancer versus a modern dance? I mean, is there, are there yeah. different rules? Are there different approaches that you take? Well, the rule and the main approach is to just go with whatever is in front of you, to, to live for the moment, just to really just take it all in and figure out what's going to work for this particular piece, for this particular choreographer, for this particular skater. So it's, it's, it's always different. It's never repeated. Yeah, and I think you're getting to the hallmark of what I keep hearing about you, which is you are so subjective and you are so personal and you do make such an effort to hear and see what the choreographer's looking for and make sure that the dancers feel fabulous and wonderful in their costumes. Wow, who told you that? <laughs> <laughs> well, I actually have, it's true, I, I actually have a quote. I mean, I'm not going to read the whole thing. It's a big blog written by um, a dancer um, uh, named Mia, who works with uh, Ian B. She says, I became a fan of Mark Zappone's work the moment I tried on my costume for Christopher Stoll's Opus 50. It was quite simply beautiful. The silk that wrapped around the torso was so lovely, draping, it gave me a tiny waist in the layers of lush tulle, the rich olive color, and she goes on. However, the quote ends. In it was my name. And what a nice personal touch that was. And it didn't go overlooked. In his costume, I felt so pretty, so polished, practically regal. I couldn't wait to suit up for those performances. And that's what I keep hearing over and over again. That, that you, you make the costumes, you design them for the choreographer, but you make them for the dancer. No, it's true, and uh, I have to say dancers uh, know their bodies so well. It's a really an interesting field to deal with as opposed to, say, an actor or an opera singer or even a skater. Dancers, if you can imagine, I'm sure you know that, eight hours a day are staring at themselves in front of a mirror. How many of us can last three minutes, you know, really? 
And so they know all of their, it's sad, but they know all their imperfections. And so we're there to really just to listen to them too, to, to see what makes them feel most comfortable. Um, surely, surely there's a design aspect or a design theme, but if I can do anything to make them feel more comfortable, because you know it's, it's, it is they out there with their costume. It's not like they're singing, they're not talking, they're just moving. So really, it's so important to make them feel comfortable. And I mean, we strive to do that, and most of the times we're successful, but we just really just listen, because a dancer really knows their body much better than any of us. And I would suspect that you, you actually have to change the design, like the placement of zippers and clips and hooks and things. So a dancer really doesn't get, that doesn't get in the way of a performance. Right, exactly. So yeah, it really times. informs. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Many times we will, you know, you'll try something and they'll say, well, you know, I have this lift and I got to do this and this, what can you do? And so we figure out a way. I mean, there is a whole world of stretch too. Stretch is something that maybe wasn't in fashion years ago, but now it's, it is, but for dance, uh, the, the idea of stretch is amazing and uh, what you can do with it, what you can't do sometimes also. You know, that's true about, about stretch, actually. You know, everybody's wearing those new skinny jeans and everybody's, everything's really fitted. You know what I'm talking about. Really fitted. Well, and then I always thought to myself when I would see dancers, uh, you know, certain dancers on stage, I would think, they look like they're wearing jeans, but they're so stretchy. I didn't even know they made fabric like that. And it's been in the dance and costume world for much longer than it's been in the fashion world. Is that right? Don't right. You think? Actually, what we do is we create an illusion, too. It's like you might not be jean fabric, but you'll paint something or spray paint it to look like oh. jeans just to fool everybody. Yeah. It's possible. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. <laughs> they spray paint those costumes on. <laughs> okay, I'm in conversation with Mark Zappone, costume designer for this season's ballet Raku and tonight's world premiere of Trio. So, um, as we look at the work that you've done this season, um, how many of you, how many, I want to take a survey here. How many in the audience saw Raku, has seen Raku? Yeah, let's go ahead and clap for it. That's right. Go ahead. I love, I love that ballet. And tell me about that work and how you came to design that. And you know there's one signature moment in time that changed everything in dance. <laughs> well, actually working with, with uh, I was lucky to have uh, Yuri call me one day and ask me if I could work with him on this particular piece. A, it's hard to understand Yuri when he talks, <laughs> especially on the phone. <laughs> but we got together and, uh, I mean, the first thing he said to me on the phone was, Mark, it's a tragedy, it's a tragedy. So I was trying to interpret what that meant. So we had, um, obviously, many more meetings after that, and it just became this, uh, with the, the lighting designer and the set designer, Alex Nichols is a set designer, and Christopher Dennis is the lighting designer, and Yushi, the, the composer, uh, was this fabulous collaboration that, that happened. It was amazing to really, that's truly the word collaboration was really ever-present in that whole uh, meeting that we had, which was great. So each step of the way it was you know, sitting around the table, a few drinks, it's true. <laughs> and then just getting to that point where um, you create. And, and when you first hear the concept that he, you needed to design a costume for a samurai, or don't you, do you get taken aback for a moment and think, how can I recreate that for dance? We never have a moment. You don't have a moment. Actually, he called me on one day, and I was flying down here the next day to see him. I ran to the library, actually, in Seattle, in our beautiful downtown library, and did some research. I got four books, and those were my Bibles. I had this fabulous book, uh, an illustrated book about samurai warriors. 
And then to, you know, then to look at that and figure out how you interpret that as far as dance and in movement. And that was great with Yuri also. He, has, he is full of ideas about every aspect of his piece. And so that's why we came to the famous kimono that, that, uh, that you may remember in the beginning of the piece where um, he wanted her, just the, the bride and the groom standing there in this beautiful just white kimono like they do, and then to have it fly off her. He actually wanted to have it to fly like in um, Cirque du Soleil, poof, like that really quickly. And he wanted to have uh, three or four of them, just one, two, three, four, bang, bang, bang. And so we kept going through that and the movement of how would it happen, how would it happen, and at one meeting in the evening, late in the evening, we all decided that what about if it was just one kimono and it was actually really long and maybe it transformed itself within its departure. And um, that's kind of what, how that came to be. It was really Yuri was the driving force behind that. Um, he asked me to, you know, then what, what would we put on the inside? And that was um, the Japanese tradition of having the interior is much more elaborate than the exterior, as many of you may know. And uh, that was actually a piece of fabric that I just found. I know it looks like it was hand-painted, but it wasn't. It was this wonderful print that was just that gave the impression of what it would be, like of a, of a river coming down. And then it was my idea at the end to try to have that fade away, uh, like it transforms into the peach color of the interior, and then it fades into white. And then she's standing there in just her white gown. So that was just that kind of transformation. Wow. Well, it was extraordinary. Yeah, it was extraordinary for all of us. I, I just also want to mention something very, so very important, and I think that I don't know if people really understand it or appreciate it. The, the research that goes into it, you mentioned going to the, to the library, so that the costumes have, have that, that they're functional, they're beautiful, but they have that, that sense of authenticity to them that makes them, that really recreates, that creates, that help create the whole ambiance and scene. And I think we need to really appreciate that because you did it so wonderfully. Thank you. Yeah, you take it as a, as a, a, a departure place. You, you take a, an image, and then especially with dance, you know, they might not be able to move with all that actual armor on them. And the men's armor that we made for the, the four warriors in the beginning happened to be, funny it is, is they are bamboo placemats. They started out as bamboo placemats. Yuri and I were in, we went to Japantown, the first meeting, and we were looking at things, and there was this bamboo placemat. I grabbed it up, and I threw it on his chest and said, what about this for the armor? What do you think? So that's what that became. We took those apart and made them in that way, and then put it with the sheer back so that you would see the musculature of the dancer. Mm -hmm. The pants were actually traditional pants also, but we twisted them in a separate way, so that, and we opened them so that you really saw the leg the whole time. I think it was beautiful. But, I mean, I have to tell you, it even surprises myself or the people that we, when you make something, you, you don't always know what it's going to turn out to be or how it actually will move. I mean, you keep your fingers crossed, and all of a sudden, you're taken aback, like, wow, that's pretty cool. Worked out pretty good. <laughs> I love it. Well, tonight... We are in for a treat with the world premiere of Helgi Thomason's Ballet Trio. And just an excerpt from the program. For his newest work for the company, Trio, San Francisco Ballet Artistic Director and Principal Choreographer, Helgi Thomason has created a triptych of a ballet set to a widely divergent emotional tones of Peter Tchaikovsky's Souvenir de Florence. In this four-movement in this four-movement score, in which the third and fourth movements function essentially as one, Tchaikovsky gives us not one but three souvenirs. Working on a scale that seems suited to a string sextet, no more than 12 dancers at a time, Thomason has responded to that form by capturing every bit of the energy and momentum of Tchaikovsky's sublime danceable music. And you, my friend, had to design the costumes. Tell me about that process. 
Um, actually, I was actually in Portland working on another project for Christopher Stoll, and I got a call from Helgi. And um, you know, you're in you're in the middle of something else. When now with cell phones, people can find you anywhere in the world. So there I was, and I got this call, and he said, "This is Helgi." And wow, okay. I'd met him several times, but I've never actually even worked with him to this point. And so I ran out. You know, you don't want to be around other people. So I ran out in the middle of the well, not in the middle of the street. I ran out into the parking lot, and there I am talking to Helgi, and he's asking me if I would like to come work on this new project for his upcoming piece. And at one point, he's going on about the piece, and I have to tell you, I slipped and fell off the curb. The phone went flying over to the floor. <laughs> I slowly crept into the <laughs> and he was still talking, so it was all good. <laughs> Oh my God! So that's that's how it started for me. And, and now he knows that. Yeah, now he knows it because he's listening. So, so he asked me to come. When when could I come back down to San Francisco to watch um, a rehearsal? He told me about the music that it was, the Souvenirs de Florence, uh, Tchaikovsky, and and the he, he was great throughout the whole process. It was never one of those type of persons or choreographers that might say, I want exactly this, you know, just throw it at you and you just do what they ask. He's like, please come and watch and uh, tell me what your impressions are mm -hmm. of, of the piece as we go along. Did he have colors in mind, uh, 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 palettes, or were you just literally starting from no, zero? No, yeah, actually, no, there was no set anything, which was lovely to have that opportunity and to really just come and to sit in, I mean, it's the most fabulous moment is when you start, you start a collaboration on that very strong note of it being a collaboration, that you're asked to come in to watch rehearsals and you sit and watch the movement in front of you and uh, the music that you're taken by it. You know, I did actually go out and buy the CD and listen to it a couple times before I came down for the first mm. rehearsal just to have an idea, and it's very strong music, very powerful. It's actually the, the four pieces, or the, mostly the three, the very first one is very strong, and the last one is very strong also, and in the middle one is a little bit more um, uh, romantic, romantic. And so it, I felt like, wow, it has to have a strong beginning and a strong end, so the, and the middle a little bit softer. So I didn't necessarily come with any preconceived notions, but I grabbed a few swatches of fabrics that I like to work with, or colors, and came down and watched the rehearsal with him. I love that. So the process of, the, so, you ha, so in show business, we say you get the call. You get the call. And you got the call. Got the call. So once you got the call, then it's time to get to work. And you start by watching the ballet, studying the music, understanding the mood, the tone, um, the, the narrative, if there is one. And then you begin making choices. Mm -hmm. And I see some swatches. Yes, you do. <laughs> Actually, uh, when I came, I said, like I said, I didn't really have any total preconceived notions about the piece, other than as I started to watch it, it's really, it's a lovely piece, and it's really just beautiful movement, just like elegant, beautiful movement. And, and I think in the beginning, he talked about perhaps the, it's Souvenirs de Florence, which is like the memories of when Tchaikovsky was a visit that he went often to Florence, Florence, and at that point, though, he said the final movement, uh, Tchaikovsky had actually already come back to Russia, so there was more of a Russian influence in the last mm. movement. But it was just his idea of it's nothing specific, it's just maybe in your mind, uh, in, in, you know, notions of what you, like a, a lovely evening that you might have had. And, and I think that's where Alex Nichols, the scenic designer, came up with, with the background, which is lovely. Um, you have the impression that it's in a ballroom, uh, in an ancient ballroom in any part in Europe, and it's you'll see it's divided in sections, but it, and it's just an impression of it. So that's the same mm. thing, too. It's not like you are exactly here. It's just like this is maybe just a, a reference or a memory that you might have had of a lovely evening somewhere. Mm -hmm. 
And then I developed the costumes in that sense too. It's just the opening movement is strong. I could see a lot of movement with, uh, uh, you know, I just suggested longer skirts. And he's like, well, um, actually what I wanted to say too is when working with Helgi, it's the first time that you, when you work with a choreographer, you have to figure out a dialogue between yourselves yes. too. Common language. Yeah. Even. Yeah. And I had not worked with him specifically before. So each time you develop that relationship and it's important to find out to listen and to uh, to hear what they're saying and also then they give you the moment back to talk and he was fairly lovely about not imposing anything and always asking what I thought would would work. So in the beginning I just saw the ladies, the guys come out and they're lifting the ladies immediately and the legs are going and, and it's just very beautiful and I was thinking well you know it'd be lovely to have a longer length so that you could see movement in the skirt and he's like well I really like to see leg, okay well let's let's slit it up to this high or let's curve it down this way. And so that's kind of how that comes to be. Mm -hmm. And then in the process, we would, um, I did a series of sketches, which I, here are some of them, which I would then mail to, to Helgi and to see his impressions of that. And at that point, we would also... So along with the sketches are the swatches of fabric to say, yeah. this is where this fabric would go and this is where this fabric would be used. Or just ideas of it, yes. Mm -hmm. So, and my thing was in the first... These are the original sketches. Sorry, this is the first movement, and I was trying for a longer silhouette, so in the sense that I realized in the three movements to try to change the silhouette of the lady's uh, dress. The second movement, which he talks about a figure perhaps being a couple and then a death figure that comes in, so it's more of a somber tones and uh, like a veil over her. And then in the third movement, it's, again, it's like these golden browns, really strong colors with a little Russian flair, a different silhouette for a skirt. So who, who sews the first... Pro do you actually sew the first prototypes, or does somebody else do that? Me and my minions, yes. Okay. Yeah. I, do, I, actually, I actually... My other work that I do, like with Pacific Northwest Ballet, where I work mostly full-time, is I'm also a draper cutter, and I actually drape the gowns, figure or both men's and women's costumes, figure out the patterning, figuring out how they move. And actually, in dance, that's the most rewarding part of the whole project, is to actually to make the garment, to see... Mm -hmm. Like, I'm a really strong person, as I told Helgi in the beginning, that to draw a picture is one thing, but I work on a mannequin in real life, in real fabric, to say this is what it's really going to be, to see how it moves, especially with dance. So for him, I came down at that point, too, with a couple prototypes of different skirts to say this is how I think it would move and what do you think. And, and so, you know, because you can, you can draw a lovely picture, but really it's about the movement, that how it's going to work. Wonderful. Did you want to share with us sure, some so of the actual creations? So this is a. Sorry. This is from the oh. first movement. It's the the chord dancers actually, and this is what I was talking about: the various la layers of skirts. This is this wonderful fabric underneath that is just by chance you find something gossamer, and it becomes magic. But it just really floats and moves, and this is an irid iridescent silk, two layers of that over it, with this interesting line that we tried to create over so that, and it's really slit quite high. So the leg comes in and out. It's not always apparent, but it comes in and out, which is, and uh, it happens to get in the way and out of the way in the right places. I've actually based the top also on a leotard, so it's always really comfortable for the women to wear with a lot of different stretch fabrics that to trying to create a different combination. We went for rich tones, deep garnet tones, and purples. There's a stripe of velvet here to just have a little bit difference of textures, and all this is gathered here, and then it had to be stitched down so that it wouldn't move around when the, when the dancers are being partnered. 
So this is for the women. We did an interesting back. But you can see, like, in the front for dance, there's, like, a little sheer mesh panel to try to keep it all together so no one comes out. <laughs> in the back, we just tried to create some interesting back detail, which is kind of hard to show. Here you'll see it on the ladies when they're wearing them. And it's more the, like an elegant evening dress for them. And for the men in the first movement, I started off with the idea like a jacket, like a jacket that a man would wear, a tux not tuxedo jacket, but a jacket that a man would wear to an evening out. But it needed to move like a shirt, and so we got this great fabric that was more lightweight, and so it was a shirt, it was a jacket, it was a shirt, so it, we decided it's a shacket. <laughs> a shacket? A shacket. A cross oh between God. a shirt and a jacket. You have to copyright that. I will. That's a, that's a new word. So it turns out that, that they also are quite floaty and lovely like the women, but have a wonderful silhouette on the man. And um, fortunately, the dancers feel really comfortable in them. I have to say the dancers, they give their response. They let you know if something bothers them, as we spoke about earlier. But also, if they feel great in something, it, they'll let you know, too. So it's really lightweight. And I had a, yes, a, a, a wonderful woman in Seattle who is a professional tailor for men's clothing to work on these with me. And it was, drove her crazy because it's not wool. It is... <laughs> like what a, what a lady's dress might be made out of. And then we actually lined them with the same lining that the ladies' skirts have in them. And so it catches the light. Hopefully you'll see that as they turn. And, uh, and it uh, has a great silhouette. And so with this, they wear uh, stretch velvet pants, the men. So it has a great, deep, elegant look for them in that one. That is so lightweight. I have seen costumes that actually weigh like three or four pounds. And this is just so amazing. It must yeah. be fun to dance in. Yeah, I think it, it's great for the, yeah, when a dancer feels comfortable but they don't feel mm -hmm. um, hidden or anything too, that's important. Again, they work so hard on, on perfecting their bodies and showing the movement. Again, with the choreographer too, it's like, you know, don't hide my movement. I've worked on all of these steps, don't hide them. So with a long skirt, it is a risk, except with the slit and the way it moves and actually right. it takes the air and they kind of just stay up for a while too, so you really do see the movement. Doesn't perspiration, I know that sounds weird, but doesn't that factor in? I mean, you can't use certain factors that are going to really change. It's funny you should say that because actually as we were standing there in the first fitting with the men's shacket, uh, the fabric is lightweight. So the dancer who is perspiring because it just came off of a rehearsal, they might perspire onto the fabric and turn it a darker color sometime. Mm. So at that point, it was like, what are we going to do? So we ended up just putting on, they have a flesh-colored leotard underneath it which absorbs their sweat and so it doesn't really go through to the costume. And um, so that took care of that. Yeah. We're, we're right at the end of our time together, and I just want you to show right. one more piece because you've just, I, it's so wonderful this to have. Is the finale dress. An artist. Oh. Which is also just another uh, uh, silhouette that we created, a short silhouette, another version of an evening dress with our great crystal. This is all hand pleated that we did in the back, and you'll just see how they move on. How stage. many hours does it take to make a piece like that? 632. <laughs> on a good day. Like to make that one costume? It can. No, I, no it can take a, yeah, yeah. Two, 200 hours wow. or whatever, just with, you know, with fittings and fabric choices and wow. dyeing and things. And, and it's all hand, you know, it's a hand-done thing. It's not yeah. a cookie cutter at all. And yeah. So, Mark. Yeah, audience, I, I just want to apologize for not doing Q&A tonight. I really wanted to go show and tell in lieu of Q&A. I thought when we have an opportunity to see something and learn more about it from a, a designer, it's, it's a rich opportunity to learn and be exposed to it firsthand. I want to say thank you to Mark, and thank you all for being here. Enjoy the show. Enjoy the colors in the show, too. Thank you.